Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dinner time is here. That's right. We're talking about season one, episode nine of Hannibal. True normal. I fucked that up. On dish by dish. Well, greetings and salutations. Man, I fucked that up too. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from a a beach in Virginia. This is the Kill by Kill Pie. Oh, no, it's not. It's the Dish by Dish. (laughs) This has been a clusterfuck. This is the Dish by Dish podcast. Uh, We're a Hannibal rewatch thing. Uh, we watch Hannibal one episode at a time and we talk about it. And there's only one person that I trust that if she kills me, she will put me right at the top of that dead person totem pole. The one, the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I was waiting for you to introduce me as Patrick Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing left. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm your host, Ham Patrickton. <laughs> Um, I noted to Gina that my my brain was slightly pudding uh, before this started, but it's evident that it continues to melt uh, in real time. So this should be a very fun episode, particularly for our audience. Uh, Gina, we're talking about episode nine of Hannibal, and I learned that it's uh, what ba- it's basically a palate cleanser is what it is a a uh, traumatic a Norman hole between dishes. It's, you know, you usually uh, put in like a, um, a sorbet, something to clean the palate. And what are we cleaning a palate with? A human totem pole. <laughs> this is it, folks. We reached the human totem pole episode. <laughs> we done did it. Uh, I, thought I, it would have, take I have questions about oh. the logistics. Oh, let's get right into of it. Of 150-year-old Lance Henriksen. <laughs> Lifting. How did he erect yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> and you, I mean, you would say like, Patrick, that's going too far. No, this is Hannibal. Going too far is the point of watching it. Yes. How did he erect that human corpse totem pole by his lonesome? Unless, I mean, I don't see a fulcrum. Like, did he drive a truck out there? Because there's no way he's fucking lifting it by his lonesome. I, I, I mean, how did this happen, Gina? Yeah, I'm actually more interested in that than, than you know, how he how he killed the people that, that he attached to said totem pole. I mean, the, the show isn't particularly interested in it, so why should we? Uh, it's <laughs> really not to, the I point. I need to know. <laughs> Why, why nobody is particularly like startled or shocked by this like like this is not their first time anything to see a human totem pole <laughs> yeah i mean how exactly did he crack that one dude in half like a jason Voorhees, where he folded him like a, a grandparent's mattress uh, that raises up so they can watch tv <laughs> only in the opposite direction like there are bones there that is tough to do could could he have the crazy mom strength? He could have the crazy mom. I mean, strength. I mean, I, I think that if anybody had some, some weird, unexpected strength, that, you know, inhuman strength, it would be Lance Henriksen, right? But but he is looking his age in this episode. He, he's, I, he's, I think he, that's on purpose. I think yeah, they he, are... he's looking right. I mean, the character looks like he's in his eighties. Yeah, it's like yeah, sure, you stacked up seventeen bodies on this <laughs> electric pole. 
Uh-huh. And stood it up in sand somehow. Yeah. Even Hannibal requires a pickaxe to open up a grave. <laughs> how did they, how did like, and he's a fit dude. Uh, I, I really, I, like, did he have a crane? Is it a fulcrum thing? How did he get all the other components? Like, where did he get the tree? Let's start with the tree. <laughs> oh, it's a tree. I thought it was a like a like literally like like an electrical pole. I mean, it's it's a it's a little fatter than an electrical pole by the looks of it because the it has rings around it and bark. Oh, okay, that's true. Yeah. So you don't just like run down to your big box store and go. <laughs> I need like one tree, please. (laughs) Like not like a whole tree, but it definitely needs to be straight and it needs to hold up at least I'd say 800 pounds worth of body parts. Okay. So what Uh, you're looking for, you're looking for your good pine here. (laughs) Yeah. This is way harder than picking out a Christmas tree. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Then you got to get it. To the location, which you've previously buried bodies at, which fine people bury bodies. This is the thing that's happened. We're not into science fiction territory, but I'm going to say the same thing that everyone uh, says as a, they don't quite realize it, but it's terribly racist thing to say about the pyramids. Is this aliens? Are we talking about aliens? Because that's the only other explanation that that he's that he's an alien. He might be an alien, <laughs> but I think they would detect that by the DNA test that they kind of know about. Uh, I it's am, a little it's a little you know it's a little far fetched. <laughs> it is the most far fetched that we have seen to date. That includes mushroom people. That includes the violin guy, week, violin <laughs> neck guy. <laughs> Because you can, because like you don't want, no one really wants to do that, but it's possible to shove the neck of a cello into a dude's throat. Like it'd take time, but that guy was all about taking time. You don't just, you know, erect a human totem pole in a night and then just dust off your hands and go, wait till they get a load of this one. (laughs) That takes time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got to you know, remember where he buried the bodies. <laughs> and we're talking 40 years, I think they determined was the uh, yes. was the time frame between. I think like 43 years from the first murder, which he beat the living hell out of somebody. Right. Where they're, they're buried on a beach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> only seven of the corpses are there. Then there are like 15 other corpses worth of bodies where they believed those deaths were accidental, but he admits at the end that he did it. So he kept track of where all these people he murdered were buried. Yeah. Well, he's got a notebook, like you write it down. And then he remembered where he buried other bodies on uh-huh. a beach. Yeah. Now, now I don't know about you. Uh-huh. My vision is not so good. <laughs> right. So while as much as I love going to the beach, I do not love going into the ocean without my glasses. Okay. Because I can never find my way back to where my stuff is. <laughs> and, and that is like stuff that's laid out on the beach. Right. Yeah, now, did yeah. he Not buried he, underneath it. Did you he mark go... them? Did he mark them with like a little, you know, little skull and crossbones made out of shells? 
I mean, how I do assume you... I assume there are little dashes in the sand of the treasure map, and that he follows that, and, and then somehow there's like a series just... of pirate clues that lead him to the bottom. And, and somehow the wind never like blew the sand away or eroded anything in the you know decades. I, I, this this was a little this was a little you know stretching plausibility a bit. Hopefully my microphone is is picking up the murder of crows. I heard it. (laughs) Appropriate. It's appropriate. Oh my god! They're constantly circling this place. They used to haunt the my kids' uh, school, his grade school. Uh, I assume because there was a bunch of you know uh, sandwich leavings on the ground. I thought you were going to say presumably because there's a bunch of bodies buried in the property. I, I think they would still be there if that were true. <laughs> uh, but without, you know, uh, school in session in that way, I think they've migrated now uh, uh, over to our neighborhood to search about for squirrels to murder. I don't really know. Yeah, man, where's the sandwiches? <laughs> where are them sandwiches at? Give me them sandwiches. So let's talk a little bit about um, everyone's, you know, favorite uh, guy you want to fuck on a fur coat. The demonically enabled owner of the ABA's Atlanta Hawks, Lance Henriksen. <laughs> That's a deep cut. <laughs> it is a very deep cut. I mean, there's some ones like I just I'm like, what is he talking about? Listen to the visitor. You'll find out all about it. I do wonder if part of this episode is kind of a celebration slash rebuke of millennium. Yeah, you know, for some reason I I sort of uh, uh, Mandela affected my mm. way to thinking that there was some connection there, but he's not playing the same character for some reason. For some reason, I, I recall that he was, or that was definitely supposed to be a reference to that. To that, uh, there could be a reference to that. I didn't actually look into it. It just occurred to me that obviously, when you cast Lance Henriksen in a serial killer drama, like. You're you're you know he's coming with that particular set of handbags for different name different name though because you know in millennium, in millennium in his day job he was lead singer of the Pixies Frank Black that's right <laughs> I was so hyped for Millennium I can't tell you how into the very idea of Millennium I was and how I struggled to remain watching Millennium. Yeah, that that whole Fox supernatural, you know, serial killer kind of thing. That that was a very, very, very hit or miss. Yes. Well, I went to here's here's how um, unfuckable I was at the time. <laughs> I went to uh, an X Files convention in Burbank. <laughs> I'm sure you were the best smelling convention goer there. <laughs> It's one of those things whenever whenever I attend a convention or the other thing is when I attend a mystery science theater related event and you look around and you go, oh, I'm this person. Yeah, I, I know what you're told with going to like rift track screenings. It's like, hmm, oh. these, are, these are my people. <laughs> I'm one of these. And I look in the mirror and I think I'm different. But no, I am not. I am this. Well, were you bearded, though? At no, the time? I was not bearded at the time. Okay, well, there you go. That sets you apart from the rest. I may have been rocking a goatee. There, but... <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure because it wasn't really allowed when I was a studio guide. So, although, wait a second, I did have one when I was a studio guide. 
So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that was, it was when I was in Japan, it definitely wasn't allowed. Um, and I'm like, I look terrible. And then I shaved it off. I'm like, ah, not bad. Um, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, that's right. Millennium. Um, <laughs> so uh, I went there and they showed a preview of it, you know, on this giant screen at the, you know, best Western or whatever the hell this place is. I think they now have son of monster Palooza there, but you know, back when you would gather in large crowds to do shit indoors and they showed the preview of it. And I was like, I'm in, I love all of this. This is perfect for me. And then it just kept going and going and going. I'm like, what is who, why? It does. It's not going anywhere. It's not as cool as it wants to be. It's certainly not as compelling as I wish it was. And then there's that one episode where it ends with an acid freak out while horses play. <laughs> I'm like, I'm back in, baby. <laughs> and it never got that good again. It never got so good that they released a nerve agent and everyone went insane and killed themselves en masse. And then they're like, remember when that happened? Like, what? <laughs> It was it was so devoid of what that would mean that it's it now reads like science fiction. It's just come on, guys. In our next episode, we'll talk about the lone gunman. Oh. <laughs> uh, when uh, conspiracy theories were cool, um, <laughs> they ceased to be. It's uh, no longer cool at all. But it does feel like they're kind of going. All right, this is our version of how hunting serial killers would actually damage you as a human being. How you would be blind to some things and unfortunately have your eyes opened up to others. And it's this weird passing of the torch. It's a commentary, but it's also a, hey, remember Lance Henriksen? He's cool. It's all (laughs) those things. And there's some more like father and son shit, which yeah. they, they they get into a lot of well, really parent and child shit, which yes. is the which is the well they drink from often, certainly in the first season. Yes, I, I mean it, this is essentially at this point it is a family drama masquerading as a serial killer drama. Um, it will transform into something more romantic, but at first, everyone it's like a lo- elongated meat cute as it were <laughs> with human totem poles with human totem poles i do like price's little uh, jigsaw puzzle strategy that he got from his mom to start with the corner pieces and he's not wrong no he's not wrong at all but he's mystified as to what exactly would be the edge pieces of this and they're like uh heads i feel i feel it'd be like you know, you know elbows or knees yeah i mean listen He's doing a lot of leverage work here in this artistic thing with rope. Like, again, how are you doing this? And what I assume was a night. Yeah, I was going to say, this is not something you're doing in one day. Yeah, like you're going to stroll through, like you're going to strap this to the top of your car, like Doc Brown and Back to the Future. And no one's going to notice the hands sticking out of the tarp. As you drive it down to the beach, <laughs> like this would take months to put together. I understand it thematically and I accept it as a piece of television, which is obvious fantasy. But it also is one of those times where it re- where it 
tears apart the fabric of any sort of reality that the show is trying to piece together. I'm not saying I don't like it. And I'm not saying it certainly doesn't ruin it, but it's no, one of it's, those things. It's, that- it's arresting, you know, in its imagery, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, like I said about the the violin episode, I I, I do feel like you, you are starting to toy with you know, with audience patience at this point as to like how would this possibly work? Right, and and you're you're waiting for every ball to drop, and so that's where I think that this is kind of you know stating it's this palate cleanser as it were. It's restating what the show is kind of about because it's becoming the episode is really about what the show wants to say that this is what this inheritance of violence is. And whether if you accept that you find it engaging and entertaining that in a sense, like you're kind of part of the problem. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but what I find you interesting and a little jarring is how, no, nobody within the universe of the TV show seems particularly shocked at, at these scenarios. Like I'm making making the joke about how, you know, in the episode uh, with the mushroom people, mm-hmm. how, you know, if I worked for the medical examiner's office, I, I would not be able to explain the circumstances because I'd be too busy vomiting. Yeah. Like just actively puking while trying to explain how this worked. And everybody in this, well, you see here are 17 bodies and he folded this guy in half and put him on the top. He yeah. was kind of pointing their pencil and like various <laughs> body parts. And you know, oh well, you know, he's got this stab wound to the heart, just standing over the talking over the dead body. They didn't even close his eyes. Yeah. Which is like amazing to, And it's like we're completely unruffled by this. This is just, you know, another day at the office. And and you know you, you think about like, like you compare it to a movie like a, a TV show like um you know they apparently unfortunately not to be brought back Mindhunter mm-hmm. in which like you could tell they were trying not to be ruffled yeah by what they were seeing but failing yeah I mean the whole the whole thing is you know the main character dealing with getting panic attacks and 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 you know they're trying to create a sense of you know stoicness but it's getting to them yes whereas here i'm not sure that it's you know the circumstances of the murders themselves that is getting to will so much as him being able to picture himself as the murderer yes his process is part of the problem right but crawford seems like yeah yeah there's nothing i've not seen before you know (laughs) none of the none of the medical examiners are like they're cracking jokes they're they're completely like straight face not you know not bat an eyelash at you know people getting strung up with like their own rib cages and yeah. angel wings and it's like how else does this kind of thing happen in this universe yeah and it's so like it's kind of left up to the audience is like you know should you feel shocked at this <laughs> or you know what what's more shocking is it that these is it these you know these you know, gruesome these gruesomely artistic tableaus or the fact that it does not seem to bother anybody in the show right it's taken to such extremes because the source material takes it to that extreme, but in the opposite direction of something uh, like Mindhunter, which is about how banal true evil can be and how tough it can be did not, while you're fascinated with the purpose of using that knowledge to prevent or catch other killers that 
there is a psychological price to be paid there that is real, that affects your real life. Here, there's the 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 quotes around real are in comic sayings on right. purpose because it's it is a play, it is an opera, and therefore everything is bigger and grander than it would be in real life in order to tell very grounded emotional stories. That, yeah, that that yeah, that that's true. Whereas my, I don't think Mine Hunter's goal was to like to tell a grounded story. I think it's it's to tell this bigger story that it never really got around to because it took forever to write and direct it and now everyone's like not worth it and where else am i gonna to see anna torv drink white wine that was my <laughs> one source <laughs> that that's probably that that's probably accurate the Anna Torv stuff, it's very accurate. I, well, yeah, that's Was you going to show up on the King of Queens doing that? That show isn't even on the air anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, there is really something to be said. If we go back to the erection thing, right? Lance Henriksen erecting this. This is my legacy. And you're like, well, there's a lie at the base of it. <laughs> and the end result was you did you you actually killed the one person you're responsible for bringing into the world you fucking toad (laughs) and i wish it allowed that to land harder on lance Hendrickson, but it's got oh wait we got this whole minnesota shrike stuff to get to yeah he just kind of like like you know does a little old grumpy old man pounding his fist on the chair thing and then that's it that's kind of last yeah I, was that is that like uh is that is that like a citizen cane applause <laughs> you know the, the, the bear the, the bears lost the big game yeah. god damn it god, i'm gonna owe gary a beer now <laughs> uh yeah ultimately i think it's this this uh you know how are how do we carry on our quote-unquote legacy through children and that of course mirrors the whole minnesota shrike situation in which you know that seems like it's coming apart and now hannibal is using the information that he possesses to bring more and more people into his sphere of influence because now they can They'll all know the truth about it, but we'll hide the secret, which means they'll hide more than one secret. And he can control right. them. That it's way. like a it's like a sandwich of secrets. Yes. And every if you take if you start to take the sandwich apart, it will all fall apart. You can't you're just, just gonna get you're just gonna get mustard all over your hands. <laughs> That's right. That's and, a really labored metaphor. I apologize. And mustard is blood. Um, (laughs) his mustard is in real life. That's what I was told. Anyways, if you were surprised that, that Abigail had something to do with the murders the whole time, you shouldn't have been. No, no. I mean, she doesn't lie. Well, I mean, that's what I'll say very much for that particular actress, Casey roll. Like as Abigail, she is very on the surface and I find her portrayal very moving because I, you can sort of see that she's trapped between these two worlds, right? She's been brainwashed by her father to do the things that she has done. That doesn't make, that doesn't necessarily mean she isn't culpable for the things that she's done. Now to everyone else, she would be, 
to Hannibal, he's like, no, I can see this. I can see how you were shaped by your background, by how you were raised to participate in this. That doesn't mean that you can't be redeemed. And it's this weird thing that always goes on with Hannibal where he was a he was a medical doctor and surgeon right up to the point where he couldn't quite figure out how people ticked. And he's like, I think I'm going to figure out their heads. But he always comes back around to this idea of, well, now that I know how people work physically and I know how people work mentally, now I want to see how they work when neither of those things operate correctly. And he kills people. And then he gets to know people who deal with killers. Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, you, this, this is the fun part of the show and watching all this sort of unfurl and realizing how little all these people realize they have that, that, how little these people actually know. And all of them think they're smarter than everybody else. Yeah. Every single character thinks they're smarter than some, than everybody else. And then I, I just can't, I, I, the most horrifying thing about this show is that, Garrett Jacob Hobbs put his daughter up to the most terrifying thing I can imagine talking to strangers. <laughs> so if you were forced to erect a totem pole of dead bodies or talk to a stranger on the train, which one would you choose and why? I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I would probably go with the totem pole. It's, it's, it's honest work. <laughs> you know, There's it, it allows me to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems like you know, although it probably shouldn't be solitary work because you know that's that's you know, that's hard on the back. Yeah, you know, that, that that totem pole up and lugging all those bodies around, but yes. you can do it. Yeah, you know, it's it's you know you're by the beach. I love the beach. <laughs> you know, it's it's quiet. I mean, the vista looks fantastic there. I mean, it's not great shakes in the winter, but I'm sure in the summer it's hopping. Do you, do you think it smelled like? Is that a popular beach? I mean, I have to figure how how deep are those bodies buried? Uh, it didn't look that deep. And as someone who lives by a beach, like sand is not immutable. Like, <laughs> what's I'm saying? Like, I mean, it seems to me that after a certain point, like you know, you know, beach erosion and the wind would just kind of uncover those bodies yeah. after a while. Uh, again, this uh, this show is not interested in reality as we yeah don't don't think don't think too hard like yeah. which is exactly what we're doing yeah. right now about how these things work <laughs> well but so much of the emotions of the show do require thinking i think are very rewarding overall from a character standpoint as a show that is dedicated itself to very transitory characters it is very nice to have a series of characters who have a lot going on and their emotional stakes mean a lot because the show takes their feelings, uh, you know, personally, they, they care about them. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting that, that, uh, that, um, you know, and a show has to do you know, so much with, you know, murder and gruesomeness that, you know, these people do care about each other. You can either have no idea, you know, what they're actually doing. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, listen, we could play Choose Your Own Death Venture, but I really think Totem Pole or Talk to a Stranger is the better game here. <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention Freddie Lounge pops back up. But who gives oh, who the fuck? She eats a fucking salad? <laughs> who cares? She comes in there, you know, swinging her dick about, like, you know, who's a psycho. Of course, she's going to try to sell a book. <sighs> yoink, yoink, yoink. Like yoink. Gail Weathers <laughs> without the charisma. <laughs> 
all apologies to that actress. I'm sure she's lovely and other things. It. I just, I still don't know what that's about. And hopefully it'll pay off for me again one day. I just don't remember where it's going. And that's, that's okay too. Uh, but I, every time she pops up, I'm like, come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, that just about does it um, for dish by dish. Don't be, uh, don't worry though. We will be back in two weeks with episode 10 and I won't even begin to pronounce whatever the name of that is next week on kill by kill. Why, it's going to be another meal. We're going to bring uh, the family together and give thanks. Thanks for Blood Rage, uh, a movie. <laughs> and it is a movie. A movie. <laughs> oh a movie. Just, you, just leave it at that. A movie. You, you, this is something that you really do have to see to believe. Because we're going to talk about it. You're going to go, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, no, that's really in this movie. Blood Rage, see it now. I believe it's streaming in a couple places, maybe even Prime, just straight up Prime. I know it's on Shutter, so uh, you're gonna want to tune in for that one. Uh, and that just about does it. Uh, so for myself and for Gina, uh, the body count will continue. Bye bye, everybody. 